Welcome to the Topeka First podcast. We are one church with several locations. Our mission is to reach our community with the message of Jesus. If you would like to give to support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please visit topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. All right, so Josh talked about the World Cup. Um, I've got the score here on my screen, so I'm going to be updates while we go along, just in case you care. Um, no, I'm just kidding. We'll t- okay, the World Cup uh, is one thing. So I'm going to talk about something else that's totally irrelevant to all of your lives. Like, you're going to like, why? Okay, I don't care. I right, look, one of the greatest sports uh, events all year is going on right now, and it's not the World Cup. The World Cup is there, right? The World Cup is huge, but, but I know you're going to look at me when I tell you this, and most of you are probably like, there is no major sporting event. The, the Royals stink. The World Series is not happening because we don't care because they're not going to get there. Um, but, but, okay. The Tour de France. Bike racing. And if you, yeah, I saw people's heads go like this. All right, no way. I mean, no way. Just, just a minute. Just stay with me for just a moment. If you want to see like NASCAR meets bike racing, watch today's stage of the Tour de France. You're like, why? Okay, because guys on roads that ride streets all the time do not want to hit cobblestone streets. Like, if you want to watch guys wrecking like crazy, like, and when they wreck, they're taking, their shirts are all torn up, and there's blood. I mean, it's, it, they are all over the place. It's crazy, the wrecking. So, so sometimes, okay, look, sometimes change is a good thing. <laughs> sometimes change is a bad thing. Right? And, and if, you're a, if you're a road racer, riding on old school cobblestone streets is not the change you want to experience. And what happens today in this stage is they're riding on nice roads, just clipping along 30, 40 miles an hour on bicycles, and then they start to hit cobblestone streets. And as they turn, boom, they're wiping out. I mean, it's crazy. All right, you don't care. All right, whatever. I'm trying to build your excitement for this thing, and you're just not going with me. But we are going to talk about change. So what in your life do you know you need to change? And probably, you know, I know Aaron would like me to change from riding streets to gravel, right? But we've already established this. If I ride gravel and I crash, I'm going to bleed out, Okay? <laughs> I'm on blood thinners. I mean, just look, there's a, there's, a, there's a bruise right there, and I don't know how it got there, right? I mean, it's just, that's my life now. I just, like, I, I think my kids tap me on the shoulder, I'm starting to bruise, like it's a huge bruise, okay? So I can't ride, I can't ride gravel. It just, it'll kill me. I mean, you know, one wreck, and I'm, a, I'm done. I gotta stay towards, I gotta stay towards civilization, because if I cut myself, I need to be able to, you know, I really need to carry a first aid kit with me now when I ride. It's, it's crazy. Depressing, in fact. There's some things in our lives that we recognize we have to change. The problem is sometimes we don't know how. Some things are really easy to change, right? We can change certain things. We can change our shoes. That's easy. Although, some of you won't change your shoes because they're comfortable. You know, you get a new pair, now you got to break them in, and you got to go through that process, and it, it just stinks. Some of you wish people would change their shoes because their shoes 
state. All right? <laughs> We've got some of that. All right, so what, what habits need to change? What things, what areas of your life need to change? Is it, is it no more binge-watching Netflix? I don't know. Maybe it's how you're eating or it's your exercise. We're looking at the next couple steps of transformation. We talk about Celebrate Recovery and the whole thing. You know, it's not the easiest thing to change. But here's the place to start, is to voluntarily submit every change that God wants you to make. Voluntarily submit to every change that God wants to make in my life and humbly ask him to remove any character defects. Now, I realize in this room today, no one has any. <laughs> All right, at least there's many of you honest in here because you laughed at me. Um, you recognize we, we have things that we, we have that need to change. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person, changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And I want to focus on it. We're going to spend some time on that whole thought there, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. I'm always asking questions, right? Things that I read make me think of questions and ask questions. And in this case, the question is, why didn't God just create us perfect? Now, I know you say that about, you know, your children and your spouse, and why didn't God make them perfect? Because I'm tired of trying to make them better. <laughs> I've never heard that. When my wife is giving advice to people, I was like, why, why, why did you throw me under the bus? I don't understand. I wasn't, you know, don't, don't do that. But no, no, it's, it's good. Because we all recognize, at least I do, recognize my weaknesses and my failures. You know, the kids are, you know, especially the foster kids, because everything they do, they're observing our family. And last night, I got a summation of it. <laughs> Ansel is a clean freak. Steve, eh. <laughs> I mean, that's words of one of the foster boys, okay? He's like, not so much. And we recognize there's things in us that need to change. But why wouldn't God make us better? Why wouldn't he make us without the ability to fail? And the ultimate answer is he, he couldn't do that or we wouldn't be able to choose to follow him. Like, like this moment where we just had when worship, it, it wouldn't be a choice. It would be automatic. It would be we would worship just because that's what we were. But, but, but now it's a choice. Worship is a choice. We, we, we get this opportunity to choose to worship God in this moment with music. We also get the choice to worship God with our lives by changing the way we think and allowing him to do that in our lives. We get to choose to do what is right or we get to choose to do what is wrong. It, it is our choice. And so often the things that we choose to do wrong 
dominate and define our lives. I don't know about you and if you've had this experience, but people tend to remember the bad things we've done in our lives much longer than they remember the good. If you don't hear anything else the rest of this day, remember this right here. We cannot allow the sins of our past to define who we are today. We can't allow the sins of our past to define who we are today. You, you, you have to move beyond those things, and you have to allow others to move beyond them. We probably recognize, looking back in our lives, all of us, we look back and realize this, we have done things in our lives we would like to change. There are some character defects in us. Again, that raises a question for me. Where do my character defects come from? I mean, I'm, of course, first answer, I'm going to blame somebody else. First one is my chromosome, <laughs> right? I mean, you only get about 23,000 chromosomes from your parents each. You know, like, like they give you some of this stuff, and some of this stuff comes from your DNA. Okay. Your parents are to blame for some of your character defects. <laughs> I've always wanted to put blame on other people. I mean, that's our human nature, right? Genetics can explain some predisposition in our lives. But it does not excuse sin. We can blame a lot of things on our heritage, right? I mean, like I've heard it said, I have a little German in me, right? Germans are stubborn. There are also a few other things. They're very timely, generally. They want everything to, to be built like a clock or a watch. They want everything to work perfectly. They, there's, there's some things there, but, but look... You can blame it all you want on DNA, but that does not diminish our responsibility to allow God to change our lives. Another is my circumstances. Like the way we've been raised can have an impact on our character defects. Character defects are often attempts to fill unmet needs. How many of you have said, I'm not going to do that when I get older or have kids. And all of a sudden, one day, you have this realization that you sound like your parents. Right? All of a sudden, you're like, I said I didn't do that. I, I just said it. Like, it's so common, right, that Progressive has multiple commercials about it. And their tagline is, we can't save you from becoming your parents. But we can save you money on your insurance when you bundle home and auto. That's, that's what they say, right? Things that your parents did, both good and bad, affect you today. You tend to do what you've been taught, whether it's biblical or not. You also react to the things you didn't have in childhood. If you haven't you have a need for security, and we all have a need for security. If you didn't see it as a child, then you may have tried to cover some of that stuff with materialism and possessions to show I'm secure. There's so many other ways that you get the idea. So, okay, the other thing that 
affects us is our choices. If you choose to do something long enough, it becomes a habit. And once it becomes a habit, you become stuck. And character defects are often positive qualities being misused. And, and, and then it brings up the question, why is it so hard to change them? Why is it so hard to change? I mean, well, there's certain areas of our lives where we're like, I want to change this, but for some reason it's hard to do so. Paul writes to the church at Rome, chapter 7, verse 21, he says, I have discovered this principle of life. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. And this is the Apostle Paul writing this, okay? So if the Apostle Paul can write this, then we sort of understand. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Okay. Look, when you look at that, it's so hard because there is the power of sin that's waging war and against the power of God and, and, and the love of God and the love of his law and the love of his word. And this, this battle's going on all the time. And, and we've got to figure out how to navigate that. But why is it so hard to change them? Because I've had them for so long. The bad habits, the, the character flaws, I've had them so long, it's hard to change things we've had a long time. And... At some point, we identify with them. We just identify with the fact that, you know, that's just the way I am, right? People just get to the place where you say, well, that's the way I am. Well, no, if it's not like Christ, it's not okay to go, that's the way I am, or that's the way this was. That, that's not okay. That's excusing ourselves from becoming more Christ-like because we just don't think we can get there, and that's what this is about. You don't have to be that way. The third reason is so hard to change is because they have a payoff. Okay? The easy example of, of this is when parents yell at children. Right? Like, if, we're, if we yell at children and got no response, we would stop yelling. But if you yell at children and there is a response, then we keep doing it because it now, I'm not, you know, whatever, okay? Like, there's times we're going to yell at our children, right? As they dart into the street, you're going to yell at them, and nothing, nothing wrong with that. You're going to get them to go. But, but if, if kids know that, like, the only way they know they've actually got to move is when, you know, a parent reaches a certain level, a certain level of decibels, then they, they know. I mean, they're like, well, they only said it this way, so I've still got time. That's sort of the way that works. And another reason it's so hard to get rid of them is because Satan discourages us. There are thoughts that we get inside of our heads like, this will never work. You will never change. If you try to get rid of that, you, you will never be able to do it. Like that, that comes from one source, one place, one... It is... Your enemy, the devil, trying to keep you bound into things that you don't want to be bound by, that God doesn't want you to be bound by. He, he's wanting to set us free. And Jesus was speaking to those around him who wanted to kill him, right? In, in John chapter 8, verse 44, he, he said to them, for you are the children 
of your father, the devil. I wanted to preface that because I didn't want you to read that and go, oh, that's not very nice. You know, like he wasn't speaking to us and he was speaking to people that wanted to kill him. Okay, so for you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of lies. And, and what you have to understand is when you get those thoughts in your head that you can't, you'll never be able to get through that. It's the enemy. It's Satan trying to keep you bound and kept in a place that you will never accomplish what God has designed you to accomplish. See, he's not, God isn't wanting you to live in these moments where you're, you're held captive by some of these character flaws in your lives. He, he, he wants to set us free. He wants to, us to experience freedom. And we're held there because we'll allow Satan to keep us there. And so the question and also is, how do I cooperate with God's change process? Again, let God, it's Romans 12, 12 too. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. So, so the same guy that writes Romans 7 and says, man, when I want to do good, I don't do it. When I don't want to do bad, I do it. And I, I don't know, there's this thing that warned me. And, but he gets to this place as he's writing to the church at Rome and he says, but let God transform the way you think. Transform you to a new person by changing the way you think. I mean, when you start to realize that, like, God really wants to change our minds. He really wants to change the way we think. He really wants us to become people who think more like him, not like the average person in our world. He wants us to think in ways that are more godly than more earthly. Thoughts direct so much of our lives. And, and the best example I can give you of that is this. The, the, the thoughts direct our lives much like if you've ever driven from like Arrowhead Street to Wanamaker on 29th. Anybody recognize that stretch of road, basically Fairlawn to, to Wanamaker? If you drive, especially going west, there's ruts in the road that are so bad that you try and get out of them, especially when it's really rainy and there's a lot of water you really recognize it because you'll hit those babies and your car goes like this and you realize that like like that's what thinking negatively does to us it keeps us bound in a path that's destructive and God is wanting to bring us to a place of freedom a place of thinking more like him and becoming more like him so like if we're going to change here are some things that will help us. Again, we live in this world that wants change and everything quickly, right? Like some things that we are caught in is taking us a long time to get there, but we still want out quickly. <laughs> okay, that's just the way we work. We want out now, we, like, like microwave everything right foods and all we want everything fast like i was a little disgusted since we've you know railed on starbucks the last two weeks like i feel guilty every time i walk in my coffee cup now it's bad but okay so i i mobile ordered 
my Starbucks this morning because I needed it. <laughs> and I had to wait. Are you kidding me? I mobile ordered for a reason. I wanted to go in, pick it up, and walk right back out. My drink was not done when I got there. Ridiculous, right? We want everything now. I mean, we, everything is about. So if we're going to go through a change process, we don't like the process. We want change now. It's taken us a while to get to where we are. It may take us a while to get out of there. And so we've got to work through the process. Now, God in his kindness and his grace and his mercy, there's times that we experience change and it happens like that. But oftentimes it's a process. So if we're going to change, here's some things to do. Number one, focus on changing one defect at a time. Okay? Like, just simplify some things. F focus on changing one thing at a time. Uh, again, if you think you have nothing to change, ask the people around you. But tell them to give you the most important one first. Don't give you the whole list. Okay? Because if they give you the whole list, you're going to be demoralized. Just one at a time. Okay? So if you're asked that question, give one. Not a list. person like me, if you give me a list of stuff that, like, you know, just rattle it off, it's just overwhelming. It could be, you know, cleaning things around the house. It doesn't matter. It's just like, like, I need them written down, and I need to be able to check them off, and it's just the way I function. But don't give me a list of things like that that are character flaws, because then I'm going to go, right? Because you're going to get depressed. Focus on one at a time. Focus on one. Proverbs 17, 24. Sensible people keep their eyes glued on wisdom, but a fool's eyes wander to the ends of the earth. Focus on one thing at a time. Just keep focused on one thing at a time. Second one, focus on victory one day at a time. I know this verse doesn't really apply here, but Matthew 6, 11, give us today the food we need. Look, there's plenty of worries for tomorrow, and it's all in there, but, but Matthew 6.34 says that, so don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Like, one day. The problem is we get into this mode of we're like, I'm never going to do that again. And the day later when we do, we're like, yep, I'll never change. Focus on changing today. Focus on accomplishing a victory today. Number three, focus on God's power, not willpower. God's power, not willpower. Can a leopard take away its spots? <laughs> Great question. Neither can you start doing good, for you have always done evil. Now, that's depressing. Jeremiah 13, 23, but... Philippians 4.13 says, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Right, right. The, the leopard can't take away spots. We can't really start to be doing good on our own. We need the power of God at work in our lives. And I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. That is where we've got to live life. That's where we've got to know. Look, it, it, it's not, like, it's not us. 
who's going to bring success in our lives. It is God's power at work within us. Focus on what I want, not on what I don't want. Philippians 4.8 is an incredible passage of Scripture about thoughts. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Like, like again, instead of always, like, like when you think about the thing you don't want to do, you tend to think there and you go there. Think about the things that you want to do, the, the things that you're trying to accomplish. Think on things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Focus on doing good, not feeling good. Galatians 5.16, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Like, the sinful nature craves feeling good. The Holy Spirit will guide us into doing what is good. Focus on people who help me, not hinder me. Like, there are people in our lives that will hinder us, that will keep us from accomplishing what God wants us to do. We need to focus on and hang around people that are going to help us go forward. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend, Proverbs 27, 17. Focus on progress, not perfection. Philippians 1, 6, and I am certain that God who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Again, we look around and we want people to change fast. We want to change fast, but we want others to change faster. God who began a good work in you is going to carry it on to the day of completion. He, he's going to do the work in you. He's going to keep moving forward. Just understand, there may be, look, you are not going to come to faith in Jesus and live perfectly from that point on. It would be nice for all of us, to be honest. But it's not going to happen. As long as we live in this earthly body, we will not be perfect. And once we begin to understand that, once we understand how to, to navigate that, once we understand what that's like, and we allow God to begin changing us, we need to look at the relationships around us. In fact, each of us needs to evaluate all of our relationships, offer forgiveness to those who've hurt me, and make amends for harm I've done to others. You know, except when you would do them harm or to other people. Ephesians 4.31 says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Okay. Forgiving one another. We, we must forgive. Like, like this is really, really big. Forgiveness is probably the key to living life with joy and peace. It's not easy, but extremely important. 
I mean, forgiveness is a key. Like, in fact, the scriptures teach us a lot of things about forgiveness. If we do not forgive, we will not be forgiven. It's a powerful moment. But, but truth be told, if you don't forgive, it's going to hold you captive. And you're going to experience pain in your life because of your own unforgiveness. People have long forgotten what they've done to hurt you, and you've held on to it. And because you've not released it, and you've not given away, and you've not forgiven the person, it's causing damage in your own life. And it causes damage in my life. Forgive those who've hurt me. Why? Because God has forgiven me. <laughs> Plain and simple. Because God has forgiven us. Uh, Colossians 3.13, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. We live in a bloodthirsty culture. We live in a culture that when people fail, we're like sharks swimming around waiting for blood. Okay, we, we, we live in a culture that when you make a mistake, you are cast aside. I want you to think about that for just a moment. When, when, when people make mistakes, it, it, like, I don't, I'm, I'm not suggesting that we should, like, just let, let people just keep going. But, but, but do you recognize that as people make mistakes in our culture, like, there's only one, like, CEOs make a mistake, right? They say something that they should never have said. They're idiots. They say something really, really stupid. They got to be fired. How many of us want to live life that way? How many of us really want to live life in a, in a, in a culture? Like, like, in fact, I'm at the point where you, you, you're worried about ever being in any kind of leadership position because, because people are just waiting for people to fail. Because it's the culture we live in. It is not a godly thought. Okay, look, people need to be held accountable to some things. I get it. And you should be held accountable with it. But, but, but you have to recognize that God forgives. He actually gives new starts. He actually gives people new opportunity. He forgives people their sins. You realize? Most of the disciples, most of the leadership in the New Testament church couldn't lead anything today. I mean, Paul, I mean, seriously, really? I mean, how's he going to lead anything? Like, forget, forget leading. Forget getting fired. Like, and I'm not suggesting we go back to the place where we kill people and then get forgiven and we go on and lead. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, but I'm just trying to get in this place. Like, we have to forgive those who hurt us. Because God demands it of us. He, he does not make exceptions. Forgive, or you won't be forgiven. That's Jesus' word. Look, we have to forgive those who hurt us because resentment doesn't work. Job 5.2, surely resentment destroys the fool and jealousy kills the simple. It goes on, Job, another passage in Job 18.4, you may tear out your hair in anger, but will that destroy the earth? <laughs> will it make the rocks tremble? 
Okay. Look, when we don't forgive, we often do things that we're going to regret. Right? And so I happened to see this picture this week, and I thought, okay, this sums up oftentimes what we do in our anger. Choices made in anger cannot be undone. Now, if you see that picture, I mean, I don't know what the dirt bird did. I don't know if it you know, was just mocking the poor dog or what, but oftentimes that's us, right? We, we get angry or somebody hurts us, and we're like, well, I'm going to get back at them. And the problem is we do more damage to us than we do to them. And when we don't forgive, we live with this resentment, we live with this pain, and we ourselves. We got to forgive people who've hurt us because I need forgiveness in the future. Mark eleven twenty five. 25. When you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. We've got to forgive. We have to forgive. How? Lord, reveal my hurt. Reveal the things that hurt me. Show me. Speak to me. Help me. Okay, we know. Matthew 18, 21. And Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not even seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. That's a lot. And we've got to keep living in forgiveness. Replace my hurt with God's peace. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. I don't know what it is about the song Pieces, as we sang it there at the end of worship. Maybe it's because I've heard it all week or the last couple weeks in my house because my daughter just sat at the piano because she led it at the boulevard this morning. And I've heard it over and over again. But as I recognize that, God doesn't give his heart to us in pieces. He doesn't hold back from us. See, but that, that tends to be our methods, right? We, we'll, we'll forgive to a point, but we're going to be reserved about it because we don't want to be hurt again. But that's not God. God, God forgives, and he just, he, just, he, he just graciously and kindly and, and unreservedly and unrestrained, he loves us, and he, and he forgives, and he, he extends his grace to us because he loves us so much. That's his heart. His heart is, I'm going to love you even when you live crazy. I'm going to love you even when you don't do the things I want you to do. I'm going to love you with everything I have, and I'm going to unrestrained, unreservedly throw my love on you. But oftentimes we hold back. Like God actually wants us to love as he has loved. This is what Jesus described. Love one another as I have loved you. Like when you think about that, love is forgiving. 
and it's hard. I know there's boundaries at some point. I get it. But you've got to be loving. You've got to be forgiving. And we also got to go back and fix some things. Like when we've hurt people, we need to go back and fix that. Go back and make amends. We, we have to do something about that. Hebrews 12, 15. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. We, we have to watch out for others to make sure that we've not hurt them. We've got to help them. You, we need to, on a regular basis, every one of us need to be asking God, Lord, have I hurt people? Years ago, I work, was in a work situation, and it was, you know, I, I know it was a church setting, but it, we had some words, me and my boss, and I was hurt by them. I'd forgiven him. I'm not even sure he ever realized completely, even though we had the conversation, how rough it was and how, how, how deeply hurt I was in those moments. I'd moved away um, from that and it was moved on to another position and job and all those things. And about five or six years later, I get a phone call out of the blue from this person I used to work with. And this was what he said to me. Steve, I was, we're doing a week of fasting and prayer at our church, and boy, I, I felt like the Lord prompted me that I'd hurt you. And I, and I want to call and ask you to forgive me. Like, that's a pretty powerful moment. Even though I'd forgiven, to actually hear that and to hear and, and to recognize that, that God was at work in that moment, then, then all of a sudden you realize, and, and, I, and I'm, I'm saying it to you because I think when you, when you do that, you bring health to yourself, but you also bring restoration and relationship. And when you do those things, the, 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 the mutual benefit, often like we, we're hesitant to do that because, oh, I, I don't want to admit my wrong, I don't want to admit, you know, that I'm flawed. We know we're flawed, okay? We get over that. I got to get over it too, okay? I hate, like, I hate saying I'm sorry. I hate that. I just, I don't like to admit I'm wrong. It is, it's, it's something in me, and I know that, and I've got to work on that. But there's something about it when we do it. It brings health to us personally. It brings health to the other person as well. And it restores our understanding and our knowledge that God is at work in everyone's life. Because all of a sudden you recognize that God is speaking to people. And God is at work. When we don't see it and as we're praying or whatever, we're, we're, God is at work in people's lives. Even though we can't see it, he's at work and he's doing something and he's going to bring about restoration. Go right back to Romans 12, 1 and 2. 
And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind you'll find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know what God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Look, if you can bring yourself back to that passage of Scripture often, because when we live in a world that is, operates in the way it does, we have to come back to don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person, changing the way you think. Because it's so easy to get caught up in the same things that everyone else does and everyone else thinks and the way things go, and we can just stay there and we can operate and everybody thinks we're normal, but God doesn't want us to be normal. He wants us us to be godly. He wants us to be Christ-like. He wants us to think differently than the world in which we live. And one of the places that we as people in our culture can exemplify who God is is by living out grace and forgiveness. Because if we can forgive, we show who Jesus is. When, when we can forgive some of the deepest hurts and pains, when we can offer forgiveness and grace easily and quickly to people, we demonstrate who Jesus is. And in our culture, that is not a, a value that's lived. Forgiveness is not something that people often see. But when you can offer forgiveness and grace to people around you, you have a powerful moment to show them who Jesus is. Because that's what he does. Like he, the picture of Jesus is him on the cross, arms spread wide open, offering himself to die because of my sin, because of my failure. And he does that for us. And he did it for us. And he's actually asking us to step into those moments as well, to offer forgiveness and grace to people around us who probably don't think they deserve it. Because they live in a culture that says you don't deserve to be forgiven. You deserve to be cast aside. But that's not God. And that's not the Jesus we know. And that's not who Christians ought to be in our world today. The followers of Christ ought to be people who demonstrate the forgiveness and grace of God. And in that, it will actually bring us health. It'll bring us freedom because we offer grace and forgiveness. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. God, thank you for, God, your willingness to forgive us and your willingness to offer your love and your heart to us in full measure, not held back. And Lord, I'm so grateful that you offered your life for mine. 
that I could be forgiven. And Lord, I pray that I will live out a life that offers forgiveness and grace. And Lord, you would change the way I think that I would be a better reflection of who you are in this world. Lord, change my mind that I won't follow after the patterns and customs of this world, but rather I would have the mind of Jesus. And I would love others like you loved us. Lord, thank you for setting an incredible example for us of forgiveness, of grace and mercy. And Lord, help us to extend grace and mercy in our lives to ourselves. But let us extend grace and mercy to those around us. Lord, that we might be powerful agents of change in a world that needs to see your love and your grace. Lord, I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.